I came across this great running quote recently. It goes as follows. Running isn't easy. It's an invitation to an uncomfortable place filled with doubt, difficulty, and struggle. When we accept that invitation, we find within ourselves truth, strength, and resilience. Amazing quote, right? And most of you listening to my voice right now did accept that invitation. You are a runner. You knew what you signed up for. Welcome to episode 15. My name is Ray. Let's get right into it. Welcome to the Rookie Runners Podcast, a show that explores the challenges and conversations runners are having as they begin their running journey. We run to become the best versions of ourselves, embrace the process, and enjoy each and every step. Now, here's your host, Ray Gerard. Welcome aboard. Thanks for listening. Glad to have you. As a runner, I believe that it's my duty to continually educate myself about the sport in order to better myself and to understand the process a little bit more. So I'm constantly learning from you, from my guests, from other runners. I love learning, love discovering new things. A week ago, I registered for the USA Track and Field Association's Level 1 Coaching Certification, courtesy of the Unforgiving Fitness Marathon and Track Club, an organization of which I'm a proud member Shout out to team captain, Joel Almonte. Thank you very much. You can find them on Instagram at UNFRGVN. So do check them out. I'd also heard great things about the course and wanted to learn more about the biomechanics of running, physiology, etc. I also was very curious as to why so many runners become injured annually during their running journey. I've been fortunate that I have not been injured in the four years that I've been running, but I attribute that to running easy most of the time. But in my running circle, I only know of two or three runners that have not suffered some sort of injury, whether minor to severe. And I I didn't think that was a normal state of things. So I wanted to learn more about what may be causing so much injury. After completing the course, I'm now convinced that there is so much more to running and to the track and field events that have to be taken into consideration when training and when helping others with their training needs. Not only was the course informative, but also brought back some memories of my days as a high school track athlete. It all made sense to me as it sort of connected me with my younger self, the younger athlete that I was formerly to the master's athlete that I am now. Really great course. The course focuses on a lot of great things like appropriate periodization and progression, recovery practices, training methods and theory, physiology, biomechanics, sports psychology, endurance running, etc., etc. This information was delivered over four days for a total of 21.5 hours by highly experienced coaches and former athletes. They were very well informed about the sport and they delivered a really, really informative and a worthwhile class and of course the information is well supported by scientific research and methodology so it really really made a uh, impact on my learning about running so whether you are a seasoned coach who has not yet taken the USATF coaching certification or a fitness professional working with all levels of runners and walkers I encourage you to look into investing into the uh, program. 
We have a great show up ahead. Coming up in segment two, I have with me marathoner Tony Reed. Tony is not just your average marathoner. He's done some amazing things in the running community. I'll be right back. Hello, Tony. How are you today? Oh, I'm just great. And you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for being on the show. You know, your running journey has been a stellar example of human achievement, and I am glad you've taken the time to share it with us. Thank you. Tell us, uh, when did you start running, and what made you decide to start running? Well, in uh, 1963, I was eight years old, and I was diagnosed as being pre-diabetic. And the doctor said I would go on insulin by the time I was a teenager. However, I went to a high school where it was mandatory that you participate in sports two out of the three seasons. Mm-hmm. And the third season, you have to take PE. So I ended up uh, losing weight. Um, but, and for some reason, I didn't have to go on insulin as a teenager. Uh, in college, I read a book called New Aerobics by Dr. Kenneth Cooper, and there was uh, one paragraph in the book that said diabetics who are dependent on insulin could either decrease their insulin intake or go completely off of it if they maintained a fitness program. Mm-hmm. So in 1976, I set a lifetime goal of averaging three miles a day of running, walking, or crawling. Okay. Uh, so that was about um, 100 miles a month. I've kept a handwritten running journal since 1979. And as of last December, I completed running over 46,400 miles. I have averaged exactly 3.03 miles a day. I've run about 5,300 days. And a few months, I'll be 66, and I'm still not on insulin. That is so excellent. The reason I run. Wow, <laughs> that's an amazing story, amazing journey, and you've uh, you've kept a log of it all. This is handwritten. I don't have to worry about the database crashing or exactly or it's being hacked. I think handwritten things uh, have a higher level of commitment. Yes, I agree. And along the way, you went on to run a hundred and thirty-one marathons. That's from nineteen eighty-two to twenty eighteen among many other activities, because your resume is very long. You've done so much in addition to running. What kept you motivated through the ups and downs of training and racing over the years? Because as runners, we know it's not always a straight line. There's ups and downs. What has kept you motivated over the years? Well, while I was in high school, I worked at a barbecue restaurant, and there was a, a cook there named Bill. Mm-hmm. And over the course of about a six to seven year period, Bill lost his eyesight in one eye due to glaucoma. Uh, he had his toes amputated, his leg amputated, and finally he lost his life, all due to complications associated with diabetes. Mm-hmm. Um, so he is 
kind of my my, my motivation. Uh, I run, well, my number one priority is running for health. And actually finishing marathons is probably a distance uh, third. Okay. So I, I run for my health, I run for enjoyment, and then I also run marathons. That's great. So marathons so, um, a third in the list of priorities. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I set a long-term goal back in 1982 of averaging two marathons a year, running the Dallas White Rock Marathon, which is in December, and the Fort Worth Cowtown Marathon, which is in February. So Dallas and Fort Worth are only about 30 miles apart. And uh, the reason I targeted those two is because I was what I would call economically challenged mm-hmm. as a sole support for my family. Okay. And I couldn't justify driving and running all around the country just to run a marathon. So uh, I set a goal of instead of running one marathon in 50 states, to run 50 marathons in one state. Okay. And just kind of running Cowtown and White Rock. So I've ended up running 21 White Rock marathons and 20 Cowtown marathons. Now, uh, the interesting thing is it took me... Uh, 22 years to run 50 marathons and I actually ran uh, 40 marathons before I ran my first one outside the state of Texas so it took 22 years to run the first 50 marathons then it took only 7 years to run the next 50 marathons that is amazing so your first 50 was in one state and then you branched out to run so many others eventually covering all 50 states Yes. Well, my initial goal after I finished running 50 in Texas was to run marathons on all seven continents. Because okay. I felt that if, if, I had to, if I had to decide where to allocate my money, if I had to decide between running, it, running marathons in like Montana, Idaho, North and South Dakota, <laughs> and I lived here in Dallas, I thought, well, I could use all that money to go overseas to run. Sure. So I focused initially on running marathons on all seven continents. And after I did that, then I was able to go out and run marathons in the other 50 states. Gotcha. And also I felt that if I was healthy enough by the time my kids got out of high school and got out the house, that's when I could really, you know, just kind of travel the country and travel the world. And I jokingly said, um, I would basically take all the money I would have spent on insulin to use it to travel around the world. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And in 2007, you became the first black man to run a full marathon on seven continents. That's a huge accomplishment. Congratulations on that. I've heard you uh, mention that the Antarctica Marathon was one of your most memorable, right? Yes. It was my uh, very, very memorable because... Uh, up until that time, I really had not met anyone who had ever been to Antarctica. Mm-hmm. So that made it extremely special. Yes. Uh, I, there was, I was also under a tremendous amount of pressure uh, because I was the, uh, or was a, and the executive director of the National Black Marathoners Association, and there were a lot of uh, African Americans who wanted to travel, but no one really wanted to travel by themselves. So a lot of the members were kind of living vicariously through my adventures. And I was 
kind of letting everyone know what was going on. So the Antarctica trip is the one that what was kind of the major highlight. On one hand, on the other hand, um, I was the only black in the tour group, mm-hmm. and if I didn't finish, everyone everyone in the tour group was going to know it because oh. all they had to do was say, "Well, well, that black guy didn't make it." Okay, you didn't, uh, you didn't so want that. <laughs> I re- truly did not want that that to be said yes so uh you know i worked hard made it through the marathon and you know eight days after the antarctica marathon uh, we ran a marathon in argentina so i was able to knock out uh two continents basically in one trip oh excellent how was that antarctica marathons was it how cold was it in that environment that's a question that I still don't know the answer to. Okay. Because because uh, <laughs> while we were on the ship, the captain said, you know, well, if, if you want to know the temperature, I'm about to announce it. If you don't want to know it, you plug your ears. And I plugged my ears. <laughs> and that, um, that probably was a good idea, right? Yeah. So one of the things that, things that I tell people is anytime I'm in a situation, I immediately put it into one of three categories. I can control it. I can influence it. Or I can just observe it. So with regards to running marathons, or just running in general, mm-hmm. uh, once it comes to the weather, I can't control it. I can't influence it. And all I can do is observe it. Yes. And the only thing I can control are the clothes that I wear and the pace that I run. Correct. So that's the only thing that I focus on, and I don't stress out over, over the weather. Uh, but I knew that if he said it was minus whatever, uh, it was going to truly mess with my head, and yes. I may not have gotten off the boat. Okay. <laughs> you might have so just like said, forget said, it. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, you know, I, I had no control over the weather anyway. So yeah. I took to this day, I have no idea how cold it was. Um, I know we had to deal with winds of up to about 40 miles an hour. Um, we had to run up and down a glacier for three-quarters of a mile twice during the race. Wow. Um, and how many we countries by, did you touch? We by first seal. Um, yeah, so Antarctica is the only continent where there are no countries. And every time we were in a research station for a company, mm-hmm. we were technically governed by the laws and rules of that country. So that meant China, Chile, Uruguay, and Russia. Very fortunate. Yeah, we, we had four countries uh in one race, and uh, we actually got a passport stamped from each one of those countries. Wow, that must have been quite a sure. quite an experience. I'm sure you took a lot of photos and thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, a lot of people back home were cheering you on, right? Yes, um, we didn't have any internet connection, didn't have any cell phone connection, mm. so no one here at the states really knew what what had happened till we landed in in Argentina. Amazing. And right before we sailed to Antarctica from Argentina, when I was in a little town called Ushuaia, Argentina, I ran into a friend of mine from high school. Really? Yes. Interesting, right? So that, All the way in Argentina. That was, that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Tony, you also hold the distinction of having completed the marathon hat trick, which consists of running 100 marathons in all 50 states, and in seven continents. And how many people have done that to date? And when did you accomplish that? 
So there are about 50 people in the world who have accomplished that. Hmm. And um, I completed it in 2013. Okay. Uh, when I finished marathons in all 50 states. So a gentleman that I was with down in, down in Antarctica, I ran into him at the, um, at a marathon, the Kentucky Derby Marathon in Louisville. Mm-hmm. Really odd running into someone down there, and uh, his name is uh, Don Kern. And we were talking, and he's the one who told me about the marathon hat trick and that there were about 50 people in the world who had accomplished that. And uh, who were running along and talking, and he said, yeah, you know, there are only about five people in the world who have, who have done the Grand Slam. And I said, okay, so what, what, what's the Grand Slam? Okay. He says 100 marathons, marathons in 50 states, uh, marathons on the seven continents, and the North Pole Marathon. Hmm. So if you happen to know someone who has about $20,000 laying around that they don't want to, want to know what to do with it, <laughs> I'd be more than happy to take it off their hands right, right. and run the Grand Slam. And the interesting thing, too, is after he told me that, I ran into three other people who had uh, completed the Grand Slam. Wow. I'd like to tell people is mm. once you start doing adventuresome things, you start running into other adventuresome people. Correct. You sort of attract what you focus on, right? And yeah. I didn't even know there was a, a marathon uh, that uh, happened in the North Pole. Yes. Uh, in fact, one of our members, mm-hmm. um, her name is T. Morgan, became the first African woman in the world to be on the North Pole and to run a half marathon on the North Pole. Wow. That yeah, is so, amazing. Uh, so she's Nigerian. Okay. And speaking yeah. of the uh, National Black Marathoners Association, you are the co-founder and executive director of that organization, uh, which can be found at blackmarathoners.org. Tell us a little bit more about the group's history and its mission. Okay. Well, we are a nonprofit organization. and We were organized in 2004 along with uh, Charlotte Simmons. And we basically want to encourage people to, to pursue a healthy lifestyle through distance running and walking. Mm-hmm. We meet once a year at a race somewhere around the country where there is a marathon, half marathon, five to 10K. So there's something for everyone just to bring runners together to, uh, to, to congregate and share stories and experiences. Uh, after I finished running marathons on all seven continents, uh, members were interested in doing international races, but no one wanted to go alone. Right. So every other year, in addition to our U.S. summit, we also have an international summit. Uh, so we've been to Bermuda, a uh, group met at the Great Wall of China, and um, our last one was at the Mount Kilimanjaro Marathon in uh, Tanzania. Okay. Uh, we also award college scholarships as well as grants. We've awarded over $50,000 in college scholarships to, uh, uh, to distance runners. Mm-hmm. And we also, in order to recognize the accomplishments of African-American distance runners, we started the National Black Distance Running Hall of Fame. 
Yes. Uh, where we induct individuals into that, such as Matt Kofleski, uh, Marilyn Bevins, and others, uh, Ted Corbett. And we also have the Achievements Award there also, where we recognize our members uh, for doing uh, marathons or half marathons in 50 states, seven, uh, seven continents, individuals who have completed 100 marathons or half marathons, as well as individuals who have qualified for and completed the Boston Marathon uh, at least three times. You so are- even though we have marathoners in our name, we're open up to all distance runners, uh, regardless of their ability, mm-hmm. the distance, the distance that they run, and even their race. One of our most uh, photographed members happens to be Bart Yazo. That's excellent. And uh, you happen to have been inducted into the uh, Black Distance Runners Hall of Fame as well, right? Due to your accomplishments. Uh, yes. Okay. Yes. So they uh, surprised me by inducting me in St. Louis. Uh, there at my hometown. Oh, that's so and, awesome. Uh, so it gave my, uh, my friends and relatives an opportunity to see the induction. And it, for me, it was also very special because uh, the other two people that were inducted uh, with me from St. Louis happened to be uh, Ron Gregory and Dick Gregory. Oh, okay. So I had met Ron Gregory mm-hmm. back in the 1960s when I was in middle school. Wow. Uh, he worked at the same high school where my mother was the principal secretary, and I met him at that time. And Dick Gregory happened to have been my distance running role model. Okay. Uh, because the people didn't realize that I forgot that back in 1976, Dick Gregory ran from L.A. to New York City and averaged 41 miles a day. And at the starting line of my very first marathon, the runners around me, who didn't know who I was, Mm-hmm. But they started talking about me, telling me that I was too big to run a marathon. Okay, too big. And in the back, of, <laughs> yeah, too big. Yeah. I'm six feet tall and weigh two hundred pounds. I'm built more like a running back than I am a distance. Runner. Wow, I did not know that either. That's interesting. Okay, yeah. but you still managed to run well. That's excellent. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they had they didn't know anything at all about my training. But they were basically trying to put me in a box, right. saying that, you know, you're not the typical marathoner and you're not going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Now, to put this in perspective, back in the 1980s and earlier, the prevailing wisdom was if you can't run a marathon in under four hours, you shouldn't be at the starting line. Mm. So I ended up running that first marathon in 359. Okay. Good for you. Your, your, your story's been, is so inspiring. You know, and uh, you've also, uh, you've had several articles widely published. You're also an author. You've had articles published in Runner's World Magazine and others. And your latest book is the road, uh, From the Road Race to the Rat Race, right? It's an autobiography, correct? Yes. Yes. Uh, I have been uh, traveling around for years, uh, talking to uh, business professionals, throughout the U.S., Canada, Brazil, and Europe. And whenever I have an opportunity and I'm in those cities, I like talking to college students and inner-city inner city high schools. And after talking with, uh, with them, they said that I really needed to put together an autobiography mm-hmm. about my unusual experiences uh, in sports, in, 
uh, in college and school as well as in the, in the business world. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the time I started working as a computer programmer, in every company I worked in, I was either the first black in information technology, the highest ranking black in the IT department or division, or the highest ranking black in the entire company. And that included working for Fortune 500 companies such as Frito-Lay and Texas Instruments. So for 25 years, I was at the director and executive level. What's amazing to me is that you've run so many marathons, you've run so much, but you've also had a lot of success in the professional world, and you've found time to balance it all out. So there's really, to those out there that are looking to start running, uh, there's no such thing as, I don't have enough time, right? Because you made the time. How how did you manage between those two lives, being a professional and a runner? Well, as I like to say, uh, the running is what uh, is one of my ways of burning the stress off. Mm-hmm. But ironically, uh, it was also, the, the workplace is also the thing that helped me become a better distance runner. Because one of the things at one point I was trying to do is I was trying to run, for example, three miles every day, mm-hmm. three or four miles every day. And then one day I realized that it took me longer to get ready to go running. That is, get out of my work clothes, get dressed to go running, stretch, run, cool down, and shower. And it did for me to actually run for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's like you're taking... 15 to 20 minutes to get ready to do a 30-minute activity. So then I said, well, maybe instead of running every day, I'll run every other day. Sure. But I'll just run longer. Right. So you managed. Um, Yes. And then also, uh, back when I started running, if you wanted to become a distance runner because it wasn't social media or anything like that, and there weren't a lot of people doing it, Mm -hmm. the only way you you could really become a distance runner was by reading books on it. And I recall in one of the books I read, they were saying that you can av- you, you can run any distance that's up to three times your daily running average. So your daily running average is when you just take the total number of miles you ran, for example, in a month and divide it by the number of days you actually ran. Mm-hmm. So I realized that, okay, so if I want to be a marathon runner, then I need to average nine miles whatever I go out to run. Okay. So three times nine is 27. And so when I told you about that, I had run over 46,000 miles. Well, I ran that in 53, a little over 5,300 days. And that actually averaged out to 8.8 miles per run. So when I am coaching people to run marathons, Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to do is gradually get them to build their base up to the point that once they get in the training program, they're going to be averaging about nine miles of running, but they're only going to be running maybe three or four days a week. Got you. You bring up an up- important point. Building the base is very important in order to become a successful marathon runner, right? Build, what, what can you tell us about what, what's the best way to build your base before you start doing other uh, training activities? Well, before I coach someone for a marathon, I really prefer for them to have run uh, 1,000 to 1,200 miles 
the year before they even begin the training program. Mm, okay. What what people don't realize is that it's kind of, and I'm a numbers person, by the way. Mm-hmm. So about one third of the people who start a marathon training program never finish. Okay. About uh, one third of the people who register for a marathon never make it to the expo to pick up the race packet. Wow. And about a third of those who pick up the race packet never make it to the starting line of the marathon. Amazing. So, so what? So when you when you look at that, I could easily argue that all these people who weren't able to make it were the ones who didn't have a strong base to begin with. Got you. They didn't and have that consistency. You, yes. Mm-hmm. So they don't know what it's like to make that level of commitment to run in all types of weather and all different types of environments. Uh, all they do is they would have seen in social media where someone is smiling, holding up a marathon medal. But what they don't see is the pain and agony that yes. that person is in after that picture's taken and yes. the damage that that person has done to their body. Exactly. I agree because I've run, uh, I started running about five years ago and I've run two marathons, two full marathons and about seven or eight half marathons. And I know for sure the, uh, the, the rigors of running a full marathon, even if you're in shape, you still have to go through it and uh, really hone in and just hang in there. Yes. Uh, in fact, a good friend of mine, Lisa Davis, uh, she's a member of, of our organization. She's also, a, she's also completed the marathon hat trick. Um, but mm-hmm. and when she finished the seven continents, she ended up setting the Guinness uh, world record for finishing the seven continents in seven days, 30 minutes, and, and 27 seconds. Excellent. And she has a very, very strong base. Uh, and as a result of that, her body is able, able to handle something like that. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, when, when I coach runners, uh, Say before I coach them for a marathon, I always analyze what they've done in the previous twelve months. Gotcha. And you know, if they haven't, if they have not put that base in, I do not bring them on as a client because it's it's not going to help them and it's not going to help me. That makes sense. And finally, Tony, a lot of our listeners are either new or intermediate runners. What specific message would you like to share with? these runners out there training and pursuing their goals? What one message would you like them to know? Uh, I like for them to keep running simple, inexpensive, and stress-free. You you don't need to buy a lot of expensive stuff. You don't need a $400 GPS watch because it's really not going to make you run any faster than a $100 GPS watch. Keeping it stress-free. Yes. Things that I don't put pressure on myself to run every day. Mm-hmm. To me, the doing a daily streak kind of takes the fun out of running. It puts, it makes something that's supposed to be stress-free stressful. It can. And this is coming from a person like yourself who ran before the internet. You were out there running without a Garmin or without somewhere to post that you had just ran, uh, you know, 10 miles. Right, so it was stress-free, and you just kept going, and you succeeded. 
Right. Uh, one of the earlier books that I read about distance running, they said that there were three stages of, of running, uh, jogging, racing, and running. Mm-hmm. So jogging is when you first get into it, it feels uncomfortable. Then, you know, you get into racing. And nowadays, more people are addicted to racing than anything, in part because of getting the, getting the medal. Mm-hmm. And they said, if you make it through the racing phase, and you finally get to that running phase, that's when you can just relax, enjoy the scenery, and truly be be oneself, so to speak. Yes. You know, with actually running. It is not stressful. So when I look at a lot of runners today and look at how many races they're running in a year, uh, I just wonder, are they still going to be around when they're 50 or 60 years old? Right. Yeah. You want to be able to run for a good long time and enjoy the process, right? Yeah. And, and run for yourself, not for other people. Don't run to get, you know, 100 likes in social media. Mm-hmm. Just, just enjoy the beauty that's around you. Well, Tony, yeah. it's been so good talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And I wish you all the best moving forward. I'm, I'm truly inspired by your story, and I'm sure the audience was as well. Continue to be a beacon of light in the community as you have been. And uh, keep on keeping on, my friend. Okay, well, thank you very much for having me. Sure thing, Tony. I will talk to you again soon, okay? Okay. Okay, great. You are listening to the Rookie Runners Podcast. Be inspired to be a better runner today. And remember, you're always your toughest competitor. We run to find some part of ourselves yet undiscovered. Embrace the process and enjoy the journey. And now, stepping back to the mic, here is Ray Gerard. All right, welcome to segment three. This is where we wrap things up. I really enjoyed speaking with Tony. I feel like there should be a part two. What do you think? There's so much to cover in such a little amount of time. If you want to see a part two, send me a message. I'll speak to Tony and we'll make it happen. I think we could spend another 30 minutes chatting about his running journey. One thing I missed talking about with Tony was the fact that he was near the finish line during the 2013 Boston Marathon bombings. Yeah. So feel free to reach out to me. Send a message. I'm on social media, the Facebook. And uh, feel free to reach out to Tony as well. He can be found at the National Black Marathoners Association website, which is blackmarathoners.org. And Tony recently did a virtual lecture at Washington State University. The link can be found on the Rookie Runners Facebook page, as well as Tony's page, I'm sure. Again, the National Black Marathoners Association at blackmarathoners.org. As always, thank you so much for listening. Let's keep the conversation going. Podcasts can be found on social media. On Instagram, at Rookie Runners Podcast. On Facebook, the Rookie Runners Podcast. And I am on Twitter as well. Are you on Twitter? The Twitter page is at runner underscore rookie. 
that's the podcast page. I also have my own personal page on Twitter, which is at Ray. I've been on Twitter since 2006. That's how I was able to get a three-character username. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> Things have changed. And uh, yeah, I've been on Twitter now for 14 years going. Yeah, Twitter's been around that long. And of course, you can listen to the show on your favorite podcast player, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, etc. So definitely check us out. The reason the podcast exists is because of you, the listener. So please feel free to contact me with suggestions. You want to be on the show? We'll make anything happen. So please reach out. Until the next episode, take care of yourselves. Stay safe. Run strong and run happy.